welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week, we are going to be looking at the case of Croydon, London Borough Council and Kalunga. The citation for this case is 2022 UKSC 7. Given the cost of living crisis at the moment, this is an especially interesting case as it deals with when it is possible for local authorities to repossess properties. The balance here is between making sure that people have somewhere to live and removing those who do not keep to the tenancy agreements. In this case, Croydon Borough Council granted a five-year fixed-term secure tenancy to Ms Kalunga for a property in Croydon. However, only a couple of years into this tenancy in 2017, she was served with notice that the council was seeking possession of the property on the grounds of rent arrears and antisocial behaviour. Those grounds were both conditions of the tenancy and grounds for possession under Schedule 2 to the Housing Act 1985. Nevertheless, there were a couple of legal issues that came up for the court to decide upon. Firstly, there was a question of whether possession should not be allowed because of the statutory protections in place for secure tenancies under the Housing Act. The second issue is about the tenancy agreement itself, and whether it contained a forfeiture clause whereby a fault by Kalunga would permit Croydon to terminate the lease. Kalunga was successful before both the High Court and the Court of Appeal, but Croydon appealed to the Supreme Court, and that is where we pick things up. The justices in this case were actually critical of the legal arguments presented by both sides, as they either did not reflect the language used in the legislation, or would give rise to strange and unpalatable results. For example, if the court were to accept Kalunga's interpretation, a local authority would never be able to terminate a fixed-term secure tenancy early. Meanwhile, under Croydon's interpretation of the law, a tenant who has done nothing wrong would constantly face the threat of eviction under the no-fault grounds found under Schedule 2 of the 1985 Act. Clearly, neither of those options were suitable, so the Supreme Court had to develop some other solution to this problem. To get to that answer, it was necessary to better understand the relationship between the statutory protections granted under the Housing Act and the ability of individual tenancy agreements to edit or remove those protections. If a tenancy is granted for a fixed term, then that should provide a great deal of security to a tenant and the court should be wary of limiting or reducing that in any way. Thus, if a tenancy agreement has no provisions for early termination, then the possession regime should not apply, because Parliament would never have legislated for a tenant to lose their security of tenure earlier than what was contractually agreed between the parties. The key words come from Section 82, Subsection 1 of the Housing Act 1985, which states, quote, a secure tenancy which is either A, a weekly or other periodic tenancy, or B, a tenancy for a term certain but subject to termination by the landlord, cannot be brought to an end by the landlord except as mentioned in subsection 1A. End quote. The way that this is phrased assumes that it is possible for a fixed term tenancy agreement to be brought to an end by a landlord in accordance with the terms of an individual agreement. But it also implies that if there is no provision for early termination, then this creates a general bar to possession until the term expires. In fact, even where there is a provision for early termination, 
it is only when the necessary conditions are met that the tenancy becomes subject to termination by the landlord. The same principle operates in relation to forfeiture clauses as well. If there is no such clause in the agreement, then the landlord cannot terminate until the fixed term is up. If there is such a clause, then termination is possible, but the statutory conditions have to have been met. The problem in this particular case was that Croydon did not actually seek to rely on a forfeiture clause, and so their case must fail. Nevertheless, the justices did go on to decide the second issue, which, as a reminder, was about whether this agreement did actually contain a forfeiture clause. In his lead judgment, Lord Briggs notes that identifying such a clause is a matter of substance, not form, and so a landlord would not be able to dress up a forfeiture clause as something else so as to avoid offering a tenant relief from forfeiture. The case of Clay's Lane Housing Cooperative Limited and Patrick from 1985 is the authoritative test used for identifying a forfeiture clause. Here there was a part of the agreement between Croydon and Kalonga that said the council could seek an order for possession at any time if the tenant breaches terms of the agreement. This was indeed a forfeiture clause. Overall, in respect of this judgment, I think that this was an interesting case for a couple of reasons. For a start, it is unusual for the justices to be so dismissive of both sides' arguments. This is not to say that they will always just pick one side or the other and not have any of their own input on the judgment, but this was a pretty significant departure and highlights how complex this area of the law is. The aim of this diversion by Lord Briggs was to ensure that there was a palatable result that could then be applicable in not only this case, but other cases of a similar ilk. To a great extent, I respect the approach that was ultimately taken. It emphasises the primacy of the contract that exists and was agreed to between the two parties, with the provisions in the Housing Act 1985 acting as more of a backup to ensure that there are sufficient protections on both sides. Nevertheless, I think that this decision will have practical implications for the types of tenancy that we have discussed today. It is estimated that there are about 30,000 fixed-term secure tenancies in the UK, but the majority do not include a forfeiture clause. Now that Croydon's case failed because, even though there was a forfeiture clause, they didn't rely on it, a number of local authorities will be worried about their ability to take possession of a property before the fixed term is up. Of course, on the other side of this, the judgment seems to provide greater security for tenants who do not have to worry about being arbitrarily thrown out of their home. The economic power in this relationship is with the landlord, and so it is only fair that there is more of a legal burden on them. How long this positioning lasts is much less clear. Now that the importance of forfeiture clauses has been highlighted by the Supreme Court, we can expect to see them in more fixed-term secure tenancy agreements moving forward. As that happens, the benefit will no doubt swing back in favour of the local authorities, but that only makes it even more important that the courts continue to uphold the existing statutory protections. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks, including more content from me each week and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. This week in the newsletter, we looked at a particular problem question relating to land law, 
And in a special edition for subscribers, we continue to look at the Partygate scandal that plagues Boris Johnson's government. If that all sounds like something you're interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!